Welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch, discuss, and review every horror movie on Netflix. I'm Steve. I'm joined, as always, by Chris. Hi. Patrick. Hello. And Elizabeth. Hi. And today we're getting into a discussion about practical magic, and I'm not talking about the Nicole Kidman Sandra Bullock rom-com. We just watched A Dark Song. Uh, Anybody want to set this movie up? Well, first, I think we need to acknowledge that uh, we're into October now, the spookiest month of the year. And not only that, but we don't record these live. Spoiler alert. Sorry to ruin all your illusions. Even I'm bummed by that news, actually. You thought it was live. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) But it's actually Friday the 13th in October. The spookiest day of all time. Friday, That's harmonizing, guys. October that was beautiful. 13th, <laughs> 2017. We're talking about a movie that has a lot of black magic, a lot of, of dark rituals in it. And so we've turned off the lights. We've got the candles set up. <laughs> we've got a big ass mirror to the side of our Where's table. Where's the chalk, I'm wondering? That's, what, that's the one thing we're missing. The chalk keeps the spirits out, and we want the spirits in on the money. We should have, I like, salted the rim did, of the apartment for this. I did salt outline this entire apartment oh, thank God. building do you, before do you have we a, started. Do you have an, a, a bottomless salt bucket, like in this movie? Well, we will. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. I I am, dude, dude, you? you know who's on the other side of the mirror. Jay. We can get God him out. God damn it. That's true, though. I am spiritually cleansed, and I have... Chris and I both have... We've had our kombucha. We've have been you drinking abstained from sex for 27 days? No comment, but I, I have, have... Actually. I have, Wait, did you say days or months? Oh, I said Ooh, days. That's too close to home. That's too <laughs> close to home. But um, I've been drinking nothing but kombucha for 27 days so the devil is ready to take my body and it could happen on the air all right so we should probably at this point could be among us now (laughs) we're getting off track let's talk about the movie that that we just watched um anybody want to describe it or should i go ahead no i want to elizabeth please a woman hires the services of a black magic practitioner to help her achieve a goal and that goal is that she is is in love and she is not loved back. Uh, she is in love with someone and they do not return that. She hires this man, who we will discuss soon, to engage in a ritual. And as is quickly revealed, it is not, in fact, a lost love that she is seeking. She is actually hoping to talk to her dead son, who was murdered after he was kidnapped from daycare three years previously. And she is hoping to communicate with him through this uh, black magic practicing. Those are the stakes. But it's a complicated ritual. It is complicated. And this is a it's a this is kind of an independent film. I mean, I guess most of the movies on that we've been watching are. Um, but this feels like an independent film because it feels artsy. Um, it does feel artsy. I will say that this was distributed by IFC Midnight, um, which is a, a, a great distributor for 
I mean, really, they're where it's at when it comes to modern indie horror. They also produced Kill List. Uh, which they produced I, Hashtag Horror. Wait, are you right? Is <laughs> that correct? The ultimate yes. indie horror film. Okay, well, I'm let down by that fact. <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, it, it is a very independent film, but I feel like IFC Midnight, um, and the film was made without them deciding ahead of time to produce it. It was made on its own by funding, I think, from the British Film Institute. From, like, the Irish government or something like that. Yeah, the law. Well, as, are, how, as are many British and Irish That's films. how it works over there. They don't have the kind of... They have more funding than we do from the government for the for the arts. But anyway. So, Elizabeth, you've set up the film. We, we have a woman... <laughs> sort of. <laughs> a sort of. We have a woman who's... She's grieving. And I, I would say immediately it's not clear exactly what she's grieving. But she is seeking out the services of a practitioner of the dark arts. Uh, I read an interview with the director. And he describes uh, the character that Steve Oram plays plays um listeners who are savvy might know him from sightseers which is a big cult film in england not so well known here uh she encounters this man who is part of a subculture of people who practice the dark arts we get we learn that she has uh, for three years been dealing with some sort of trauma and she has apparently a lot of money i have no idea why and she decides that she and she's catholic as well which i find very interesting she wants to use the dark arts the occult to contact someone who as she says in the beginning doesn't love her anymore right so one of the first scenes is she checks out this like very creepy mansion it's reminiscent of uh uh, the innocence the jack clayton movie uh that's this very like sort of creepy English estate. Like, the kind of thing that you would imagine if you'd read The Haunting. What that kind of, like, creepy haunted house would look like. Yeah. Definitely the place you want to go when you're trying to invoke the beast. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we follow her through every room. I mean, she's even asking the the landlord or the, the agent of the the rental company you know like where does this room face and it faces west okay that's perfect like she knows she's done her research she knows, she knows what she needs which, for her ritual she shouldn't just take the agent's word for that though she should have brought her compass because <laughs> <laughs> i thought this this was great because this really set it up in a unique way because she like usually people stumble into black magic right and she's like right. entering, like knowing exactly what's necessary. And you do get the impression that she's like desperate and she's tried everything but this. And she's finally like, fuck it. I'm going to rent a mansion, right? She's, we learned she's Catholic and it's been three years since the event, which has not been disclosed at this point in the film, has happened. And it, this is her last straw. Right. Um, so right. she rents out this house. And then very soon after that, we meet the practitioner of black magic, uh, played by Steve Oram, who looks like uh, the director uses the term train spotter. And I never knew what that meant. Obviously, we know the film train spotting. A train spotter is sort of like a basement nerd. That's what that means uh, from what I gather uh, in Britain. And uh, I write Ironically, she meets him at a, a train station. Well, let's talk he, about that. Like, bizarre cat, like, good casting, bad casting? Well, I don't want to get too deeply involved in the intention uh, behind this film, but uh, it, apparently the studio, or not studio, but the distributor initially wanted, like, a sexier dark magic practitioner because they're, well, spoiler alert, becomes, uh, there's ritual sex involved in this film. I think it's great. He looks like I believe that there are people like 
this guy with his bucket hat and his parka and his kind of yeah. like he's schlubby like ginger clothes. He's a full ginger. He has a ginger beard and like a bald head. I believe that there are people like that who really do believe in magic and yeah. really do think it can really sell their ability to perform these rituals. Yeah, Every- that, that worked for me completely. I don't know why a fucking black magic pr- practitioner has to be sexy. That worked for me completely. It didn't work for me. Great Every casting. kid you meet who is like into that stuff looks like that. He's like wearing a frumpy trench coat. He's got, you know, <laughs> premature baldness. He's got a fedora. He's got a long beard. Like that, the physical appearance of this guy worked out great. And I really liked it because it was different. You know, you're used to seeing these movies where like, you know, you got like Anthony Hopkins is like the black arts practitioner or like... <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, you no, know. I, I disagree with stereotyping a black magic practitioners one way or the other. They don't have to be ugly. They don't have to be sexy. I mean, this guy worked perfectly well as like this sort of. It worked well because you don't know what to think of this guy for a long time. He's fucking scary, and he has a very scary demeanor to him, and more so than his physical appearance. Just like his general demeanor is very off-putting, and I thought he's that very, worked extremely well. Well, he's in, he's very unpredictable, very uh, intense. So yeah. she, she, and uh, sometimes even charming. Uh, I, I agree. You know, I don't have a problem with his with what he looks like. I just and I, I, I just thought it was interesting because he's really rather bumbling in some ways. Like he, when they first begin, he mentions how he's detoxing because he's a severe alcoholic and he has to go he through has the detox. DTs, yeah, yeah, he he's has shaking. the DTs. He's shaking. He's like, oh, I'll be. She's like, what's going on? He's like, well, I'll be fine. I'm just. He tells her, I'm an alcoholic. I have to go through the DTs. And you kind of. I mean, I guess it's good because it makes you wonder. Like, is this guy even trustworthy? Which it does add an additional element of fear because you don't know if he's even trustworthy. But it was also kind of like. Well, this guy is like a bumbling idiot. <laughs> well, to set it up very quickly, so she meets this guy for breakfast. You know, you immediately get a sense that he's kind of unhinged. He sees the house and he asks Sophia for her motive. What What does she want out of this? Basically, he's done this. He says immediately, "I've done this three times, and two times it didn't work." Right. So, um, we don't learn his fee until a moment later. But he asks her point blank, "Why are you doing this?" And she says, "For love." I love someone and they don't love me back. And he decides that he can't do this. And he immediately asks her for his money, his fee, which is 80,000 pounds, a lot of money. And he says, just give me the money and and let me leave. I found that to be a very intense moment. And I, I, I was, I struggled in that moment to understand why this person would trust him. But then again, we'd get the sense that she's very deeply troubled and she will do anything Right. And then the tables turn and we understand that she's able to manipulate him as easily as he can manipulate her. I mean, his I'm I'm curious to hear why you think that cuz I don't necessarily remember that, but maybe it's cuz my memory is a little flat on this cuz I watched it last week. But I mean, his bumblingness works for me because it's a sign of how far she's willing to go. You know, just I mean, because he does state the risk up front that he tried. What did you just say? He tries it he tried it 3 times and it didn't work 2 times basically, right? right? Yeah. So I mean, it's, and he it's, says uh, he had, he had the wrong people essentially, and that's his struggle here. Is, yeah, you know, you've got to be the right person. The typical like huckster or salesman sort of thing. You know, why would you trust this guy? Yeah, it's a for great, that amount of money. It's a great indicator, a great foreboding indicator of the depth of whatever we're about to get into. And one of the things I enjoyed about this so much is the way information is slowly parceled out. Yeah, even just starting from that opening scene, which we've already described, where she's checking out the house, and you're kind of going. Wait, what is she doing? Like, what 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 are we about to do mm-hmm. here? And then she meets him at the train station. You're kind of going, 
who's this fat schlub? And, oh, he's going to perform a dark ritual and she's willing to pay him a shitload of money for it. And it all creates a great sense of mystery and like really dragged me in right from square one because it all seemed so sort of improbable and, and strange. Yeah, we're going to be conservative with spoilers for a while here, but like we may have said too much already just because there's so much joy to be had in kind of like discovering what this movie's about as it kind of goes along and feeds you these scenes that are very sparse. Oh, we're still in the first five minutes. Yeah, we're still in the first five minutes. Five minutes, but but and that's yeah. something I really liked about this movie because so many horror movies, you know, whether they're good or bad, open up in the first five minutes with like, oh, someone just got slashed, someone just got murdered. Oh, there's the werewolf, there's the ghost, there's the three-headed <laughs> shark, right? And this movie like gives you some sparse house and really nothing paranormal is happening. A blank canvas. You don't know slow. what's going to happen. But just the performances and just the questions and the things, it's all way more compelling than anything you see in like one of these. It's it's really the antithesis of our last movie, Three-Headed Shark, which you just yeah. brought up, in which you see the Three-Headed Shark in literally like the first five minutes of the movie. Right. This is a slow burn, and it's very captivating. But I want to go back to what you were saying about our black magic practitioner, because um, I thought, that for me, one of the things I liked most about this movie is all this black magic stuff seems very grounded and realistic and yeah. like not romantic and so the fact that the guy's like bumbling and stuff i thought he was a very serious character i don't think i would use the word bumbling like he's got some definitely issues. not no um but he's he's very serious and all business and you really get the feeling that like all right if black magic is possible in our world, I can really see people like this approaching it in this way. Well, so yeah, see what Elizabeth is saying with bumbling, though, because I mean, he seems like a fucking alky on a train station platform. Well, yeah, I but I think, well, but I think more than anything, it's maybe he's bumbling, maybe he's not, but it's more just sort of shocking how, like, because, like, when I traditionally picture black magic i picture something like all-consuming and very serious and and at times in this movie it is but there's also many scenes at the beginning where he's like sitting at the kitchen table picking his teeth like all right tomorrow we're gonna have to draw some shapes in the living room (laughs) and she's like oh okay where should we put them and like there's multiple scenes throughout the movie where like they kind of get up after like a long day of black magic and like eat some soup and they're just kind of like uh Mm -hmm. okay and And it's kind of funny because you think that black magic is gonna just be like your only focus but like apparently you can go on and off i don't know well you kind of as it kind of develops later on you kind of get the sense that black magic is you know sort of like a drug for this guy so there's you know you can see him kind of approaching it because his whole demeanor is similar to like someone who's like into like psychedelic drugs and stuff like that and that's how they kind of go about the business of it well, one thing I loved about this movie early on is, and this is something that is true for the movie as a whole, you really get a sense that this is magic being taken seriously. This is this movie is not exploiting. In fact, the ritual that they perform throughout the film repeatedly in cycles is based on an actual ritual that Aleister Crowley performed many times. Like, it's all there. Wait, all right. Explain Aleister Crowley, because I'm a nerd and I don't even know that. Mr. Crowley! Yes, that, that's how I first heard from him. Aleister Crowley is a, a very famous English, I believe he's English, uh, practitioner of the occult who took sort of occult knowledge throughout history and modernized it at a certain point um also apparently a terrible human being he killed people uh he drove people insane all for a greater good steve 
but <laughs> uh, well, he would say so. Um, but he's he's like the the foremost uh, for uh, for many people is like the foremost authority on the black arts. Um, he, his books are still readily available. Um, I knew kids in high school, you know, who were into Satanism, whatever else, who would talk about Aleister Crowley as the sort of like the the peak of black magic. Got it. Sweet. Last time I got my shark fact. This time I got my Satan fact. Yeah, I wish I could deliver more. I I, I would like to do more research because it's a name that's been in my mind for many years but i don't know that much about him but anyway the ritual is real and i love that in this movie early on so when sophia meets uh solomon right that's his name mr. solomon mr yep. solomon mr solomon mr solomon <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she meets Mr. Solomon and he's eating breakfast and she's curiously not. Apparently she's not hungry because she's grieving. I don't know what that's about. She, he says, so who have you seen before? And she mentions all these other names. You get the sense that there's like this real subculture. It's like an online community. Who, these people who really believe that magic works. And according to the director, he actually met with someone who has performed a ritual similar to this. And the director does not believe in this sort of magic. But watching the film i really got the sense that this sort of thing is you know maybe it's not effective but there are people who really believe it works and that initially gripped me and made me feel like scared i didn't know what was going to happen i see them drawing chalk on the floor and you know sophia fasting for three days and i i don't know like maybe demons or gods are going to appear at any point throughout this film it felt very real to me Mm -hmm. and insanely real but yeah, the the narrative, the script has a character that feels like a documentary. It feels like you've just been dropped into someone's real life. But it's not shot like every other fucking found footage horror out yeah. there where you're being dropped into a weird scenario and, you know, fed sort of out of context bits of information. It looks beautiful. It's gorgeously shot. Gorgeous. And, and so it come it I don't know, it combines two things that you don't get too often in a horror movie these days. Like I guess a what stark I'm sense of realism yeah. and then also art. Yeah. Um, visual There are no jump scares. Like you you feel like I mean the best way I can describe I've seen this film twice. Oh now. god, don't even bring up jump scares because I want to talk so much about how this film turns jump scares on its head, but I think that's for our spoiler segment later. Oh yeah, we will talk about we're it. We're doing a spoiler this, segment later. Yeah, we're we're changing we're, up the format. Yes, we are gonna change up the format and we're gonna give our reviews in the middle or so of this episode and then we'll get into deeper territory and let loose about the spoilers in this film we'll take you into deep water if you want to (laughs) go but this movie has for a long time zero jump scares and yet i felt watching this film there's something about the way it's shot the logic of it like there was somebody standing behind me Mm -hmm. for an hour and 40 minutes like right over my shoulder like from minute one i was creeped out and i didn't need a payoff i like a movie that can sustain that mood yeah long Mm -hmm. yeah it really did sustain the mood again it's just because it was such such a slow boil and such a realistic depiction of this thing and you're watching this and you're wondering like you know could this work in real life and 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 also you know as it's building up the ritual and you don't really know what the ritual is you just see kind of bits and pieces of it here and there throughout the movie like you get the sense that something's going to go horribly wrong because they're these guys are like strictly business but they're cut in just enough corners that you're like uh i don't know if i would want to do black magic this way and the fascinating thing is that as you just said you use the term 
builds up and it does build up the ritual like you get these little dribs and drabs of what's actually happening and like, like when they first get to the the house to begin this ritual like he surrounds the house in a ring of salt which we were referencing with a joke at the beginning of this episode <laughs> bottomless but, salt bucket yeah yeah bottomless salt bucket he like lays out this like trail of salt around the house and then like he leaves like a six inch gap and tells her are you absolutely certain you want to do this? Because once I close this ring, we can't leave the house. Mm -hmm. Everything's fucked if we leave the house. And it's just a ring of salt. You know, I mean, there's not like, any, it's not like there's But fucking, at that point, you believe that there's power. Yeah, in you're that. like, oh, I was just like, oh, this, mm. I, you know, it yeah. just, it just, it's so disquieting. Well, and I just love the like, so, like so many horror movies are so extreme and so many like black magics are so black magic movies are so extreme but this for much of the movie or for much at least the beginning they wonder if it's working like she says this all yeah. the time it's not even working it's not even working because they haven't gotten any clear indication that it's working and she says like when is this going to start working and she gets angry at Mr. Solomon and all that and the way that they show it's working is so subtle and so creepy and so engaging you know when it's 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 small like a bird crashes into the window and he says, oh, it's working. And she's like, well, you know, is it? Is it not? Like, I don't know, you know? Or there's um, some flowers that she walks over in the hallway. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, well, those obviously, we didn't bring those in. We haven't been outside. But again, they're just flowers. You know, could they have blown in? Who knows? And, you know, it's it's so cool the way the magic builds up in this movie. I just loved that. Or right, so to set it up, I mean, so Sophia uh, is subjected to these very specific um, rituals. Um, Solomon draws these, like, very elaborate chalk outlines on the floor. He puts on an amazing outfit where he wears, like, this, like, yellow do-rag and has kind of a, a kafta on. It's sort of a, a, absurd looking, but kaftan. also you believe... Kaftan. Kaftan, yes, I'm sorry. Kafta is a food. That's is food. A, yeah, I don't know what that is. It would be awesome if he was walking around wearing lamb kafta. That would, oh my God, I would have been drooling. Um, <laughs> he draws these very elaborate chalk outlines throughout most of the rooms in the house, and you get the sense very quickly. It's sort of like whiplash. Like, that's like the thing I would, that's the movie I would compare this movie to. It's like black magic whiplash. Like, Wait, dude, he, have you seen Whiplash? Twice. Oh, shit. We still haven't even talked about Whiplash. We need to do a bonus episode where we talk about Whiplash. That's a horror movie. It's horrific. But this is very Whiplash-esque in which, like, she has, like, Sophia has made it very clear from the beginning. Because, I mean, Solomon challenges her time and time again saying, he, very misogynistic language, too. You fucking cunt. You don't know what we're getting into. You posh cunt. Um, well, which he is takes really, it so seriously. and he does. It, but he, he eventually, she relents and, and lets him do his thing and lets him be the master. And he sets up these very elaborate rituals and explains what everything is. We get this very quick, not even a montage, this very quick explanation of like, okay, so this circle means this. And in this circle, you're going to face your demons. And in this circle, you're going to face your, um, your worst fears and etc etc very quickly she goes through these circles and we realize almost initially like he said in the beginning of the film three times it's worked twice it hasn't this cycle is going to repeat itself for for the bulk of the movie she's repeating this grueling ritual over and over again 
and I mean, I have the 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 classic two things to say here right now. But <laughs> all right, let's hear him. You know, I you guys were just talking about you know how how viciously he verbally assaults her when she questions the the uh, the, the veracity of this process, and that's another way that it really ups the ante because any at any point you're questioning if this is going to work or if this guy's for real, he assaults her and and just verbally for the most part at least at this stage, mm-hmm. but is just like you don't question the process like you take this seriously or we're not doing or he's gonna throw a fucking plate at her (laughs) yeah yeah i never questioned if he was the real deal really no that's interesting Hmm. do you know why i i don't know why um i mean yeah he seemed a little rough around the edges but i i must it must have been the performance and just the you could tell how seriously he took it and how mm-hmm. reluctant he was to do it. And then when he finally gets on board to do it, I was like, all right, this guy, you know, you know, he, cause he was going to walk away. If he was a shyster, he wouldn't have left $80,000 on the table or whatever. I think you you're know? right in that. I sensed his reluctance as a challenge. Like I'm getting my money either way, but I want to make sure that you're serious because I'm serious. Yeah. And that I was, was my reader. I, I mean, he was pretty brutal, but I was on his side most of the time when he was, you know, berating her for well, cutting t- corners with the ritual because you don't cut corners with this ritual. You're extending an invitation to God knows what. Well, and she's been through hell before this movie begins. I mean, she's had no alcohol for like what twenty-seven days. She's been on a very specific diet. She has masturbated. No alcohol for twenty-seven days. Just I, I pure hell. I, I, I couldn't do it. She hasn't had sex year, or masturbated for like a year, right? Uh, not a year. I think like a month or something. But like she also has more than a month. Ha- hasn't masturbated. Twenty-seven weeks, maybe twenty-two weeks. Sounds right to me. I don't know. It's been a long time. Well, so, I, th- I think we should also recognize, though, I mean, Steve Orem is great in, in this role as the, like, crazy-ass Mr. Solomon. But also, I, I don't know the actress who plays Sophia, but she's fantastic, too. She was apparently a, a, mostly a, a live, like, stage theater actress. Uh, I think this might have been huh. one of her first film roles. She's incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really... She's able to communicate so much doing so little. Yeah, because she doesn't have a ton. I mean, she's got dialogue, but not probably not as much as uh, Solomon. No, she's more, yeah. she's more reserved. She's yeah. you know, troubled and reserved. I mean, um, you get a lot out of her face. Yeah. But I was going to say, Elizabeth was talking about, uh, you know, sort of, or no, Steve brought up the, the cycle repeating itself, and you brought up the subtle ways in which we start to see the ritual working. And uh, I, I don't, this isn't spoiler territory if we talk about the cup of blood, is it? No, definitely not. So, I mean, there's a there's a cup of blood that she has to drink as part of this ritual. And another one of the first moments where I was like, ooh, you just feel that, like, creepy, oh God, surreal terror. So, I mean, in the first place, she's, she's forced to drink a cup of blood. She doesn't want to drink it. He's like, you got to drink it. You got to drink it. He verbally forces her to drink it. And then it refills on its own. Like the cup is full again. And he makes her drink it again. And it only happens twice. It's not overdone. And it was so weird. Because, and, and because it wasn't overdone, I almost like doubted my sanity for a minute. I was like, yeah, wait, did that actually just happen? Or am I just kind of like having a weird flashback deja vu kind of moment? And you, you know, don't it's know very it's unsettling. Uh... Well, what's, um, what's key in that scene is that that is an alternate choice for her. Because yeah, yeah. he says to her, okay, at this point in the ritual, you must ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And she right. says, I'm not going to do that. And you don't really know why. You don't know who she needs to ask for forgiveness. Just to give any details. But you get the you get the idea that she's, again, had a troubled past. She might have done some shit. And she says, I'm not asking for forgiveness. And he's like, okay. Well, she says, I don't do forgiveness. Yeah, I don't do forgiveness. <laughs> right. She's not doing that. 
And um, he says, okay, well, there's a way around that. And so this is one of those moments where you're like, or at least for me, you're kind of like, uh, okay, like, is there, that seems pretty key. Is there really like a way around that? But the way to drink a big gulp of blood, the way around that is to drink a cup of blood and then to dr- do it again and again as the cycle repeats itself, which is pretty crazy. And yeah, the way it's done, I didn't know, I didn't read it really as an omen, really. I mean, you kind of get the sense at that point that dark things are starting to happen. So I, you don't know if it's an omen or if it's just like her own hallucination because at this point in the movie, she's been through so much ritual stuff that she's just exhausted physically and mentally. Right. Yeah, but nothing that overtly surreal has happened at that point in the movie. You know, that was why yeah. it really threw me because it just happened and it only happens once. That was yeah. the other thing that I really appreciated because I don't know, a lot of other movies, like you'd, you'd get that overdone, like it would fill again and yeah, again yeah, and again. Yeah. But it just happened no. once. And I was like, whoa, that was weird. And then it just moved on to the next thing. You yeah. Know? So one thing I like early on after uh, Steve Oram and what's her name get in the house, we'll say Sophia and Solomon, those are their character names. Um, We sense that Solomon has his own demons, and I don't know if the movie explores that quite to my satisfaction, though it didn't bother me that there were details left out, but he makes it very clear, I abuse alcohol and I have the DTs. So when he goes up to his room and sort of like unfolds a sleeping bag and everything else, he stashes a bottle of liquor in his dresser. And that was like, Mm -hmm. I love, that reminded me immediately of, you know, Hitchcock's great sort of analogy for like what suspense is versus surprise. Like surprise is four people are talking at a dinner table and a bomb blows up. Suspense is four people are having conversation at dinner. But the audience sees that there's a bomb with a timer on it under the table. And we know it's going to blow up at some point, and we don't know if they're going to get away. When I saw him do that, I was like, okay, he seems pretty serious, but at some point, things are going to get really fucking dark. Yeah, they're both very serious, but they both have enough personal issues and the dynamic just seems off just enough that given how seriously they've established this ritual is and how it has like a two out of three chance of failing on a good day (laughs) when you see things like you know he's stashing the bottle and or you know she's cutting corners with her german homework or whatever you know she has to do throughout the movie you're like ah this is spooking me out and i have a feeling that that's gonna go horribly wrong Oh my god! I didn't. Even, I didn't even mention this. One of the creepiest shots in the movie is before this whole ritual takes place. Uh, Sophia is walking on the moors, and she finds the carcass of a dead dog covered in maggots that looks like something from the thing, like a Rick Baker special effect. This like gnarled face with these huge Dude. teeth. And Dude, you know what it reminded me of? I thought it was a fox, actually, not a dog. And it reminded me—it's got me a of, collar, so that's how I knew it was a dog. Oh, okay. Right? Well, it reminded me of the fox from fucking Antichrist. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I expected it to just to just like pop up and go chaos reign. I mean, uh, do you guys put any any stock in the dark arts? Yes, I do. Um, I wouldn't say the dark arts, but I have definitely dabbled continue to dabble in magic and i think that might be one reason i found this film particularly compelling do you want to elaborate on that or is it um i mean i don't want to get he's hexing us all of us right now i would never do that i've dabbled in uh i've toyed with sigil magic which i don't necessarily believe in but it's been a fun creative exercise and a kind of an interesting meditation Uh, what's going on in this film 
I don't I don't know. It seems too like convoluted and ridiculous to actually work. But I think as far as I feel about magic, it matters. What matters is do you believe in it and do you know what you want to achieve? I feel like magic with a K is sort of about manifesting a will inside yourself, deciding what you really want and making an internal change that will allow you to interact with the world differently. Hmm. And I, I kind of feel like that's what this ritual in this film is about as well. And we can get into that. But, but what about the rest of you? Do you believe in magic? Um, or, have you read about it? Or dark spirits is what I'm interested in. When you say dark arts, I just think Harry Potter. I just think defense <laughs> against the dark arts. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I don't really believe in magic per se. Elizabeth? Mm. That says Elizabeth, you're open. Elizabeth just like <laughs> orbited her microphone. She's like, mm. I can, Elizabeth. I don't. I can teach you. <laughs> I don't think about it. I'll say that. But I am one of those like never say never to anything people. So I don't personally spend time thinking about it, or nor do I have any interest in it. But like, if other, I don't. I'm not like no, that doesn't exist. I think <laughs> it probably does exist for some people. Well. I try to refuse to believe in that sort of thing. Um, but you want to believe. You know, I don't know. Well, <laughs> well, the, the thing is, if I believe in, like, demons, I have to believe in angels, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess that's well, right. Well, <laughs> and actually, that's a perfect segue to something that I really want to talk about in this movie that I loved, is how they really balance the light and dark mm-hmm. of this black magic ritual and i loved that because so often you see movies or you hear about rituals whatever that are pure dark magic you know and it's demons being summoned wrists being slit you know devils being sodomized <laughs> what well, yeah, but, wait wait what movie is that no well like you know devil's what, getting sodomized i want to I see that, hear that tonight yeah. whatever you know salem witch trials it's all like witches dancing in the woods calling their familiars it's never you know the witch is a great example right a movie that is like purely about the darkest of arts right and this did such a great job and instead of being so dark there's a really great balance you know you see her at some moments there's the creepiness of doors kind of opening and closing or of strange noises happening throughout the house. But you also see moments of almost what I would call revelation of her sitting in one of these circles that they've created and honestly flecks of gold and light yeah. raining mm. down on her. You see these blooming flowers appearing throughout the house, which you can only interpret those things as good and positive. And they, the light and dark you know, sort of cliche in a, you know, their cliche symbol, it's cliche symbolism, but it's really cool the way that they balance that out. They're summoning all sorts of things. It's not just black, dark magic. Yeah, it's not a dark bird like crashing against the window. Right. right. They're not exactly, they're not necessarily trying to make a deal with the devil or anything. No. Um, That's true. I mean, there's, there's surprising moments of beauty. And I mean, the thing we haven't pointed out yet is that it's mentioned very early on. The whole point of this ritual is that she's trying to summon her guardian angel to punish someone that's the that's i don't the know if end even goal to punish. This whole I, I, I don't think it's clear what the purpose i guess it's i mean it's someone yeah actually it, says it is that unclear he but. says something about like summoning your guardian angel you're going to see your higher self yeah but that's all we really know we don't know because her mind keeps 
I don't know if her mind changes or if she just opens up more throughout the movie, but we don't really know what she's after here. I guess we just it, know the end goal that her guardian angel will appear and she's going to say something to it. And we're left kind of in suspense. I guess that is another unique thing about all this is that we're not trying to summon Satan with all this black magic, mm-hmm. which is another common expectation we might have. We're not trying to summon Satan or any you know, demons or anything. The point is summoning a guardian angel and yeah. Or just going into the other realm and seeing what's up. Yeah, Um, I don't feel like the goal was to summon anything. It was just to enter a realm in which she can speak to her dead son. And whatever that entails is fine. Satan, guardian angel, demons, angels. The practitioner guy makes some references to, you know, his experiences going through the ritual and the things he's seen. And he's seen terrible things and he's seen beautiful things. So, it's you know, you take the dark with the light. But that said, we know it's a horror movie. And we know from watching any other movie that you can't just go to the other side and and talk to the good and get the good stuff out of it and not come back with some of the bad, you know? Well, so we're waiting of, for it. Imagine a horror movie that just, like, imagine this ritual just ending beautifully. Well, so maybe it does. Side maybe. Note. Who knows? Who knows? I just want to point out that Steve just took a moment to, like, pick up the candle from the table and hold it to his notes so he could read his notes. That's how candlelit we are right now. It's the only way. Um, I will say one thing that we will dig into this later for sure. If you want to know more, but there's this really disgusting, um, complicated relationship between Solomon and Sophia throughout this film. I mean, there are two scenes in which she shaves his body with a razor. Mm. Well, it makes sense because it, it's for the ritual. It's and part he can't of the reach. cleansing process. Is it? I don't know because there are some things that he does that are not part of the process, and he's open about that. I mean, I wouldn't even shave my own back and arms, let alone expect a woman to do it. Like one thing that I found really fascinating about this movie is you feel like there's this very practical in the world of the film setup where magic is possible and yet at the same time the guy who is sort of enacting this ritual is also very tortured and self-interested in himself it makes you, you wonder how easy magic really can be i'm like hey it makes me wonder I, if magic is possible if, if i he start knows drawing pentagrams doing. what's gonna happen well, in some sense i'm like is this guy just a pervert and this is his way of getting off I was that, that's what I was grappling with. No, for the first and third that's of the definitely film. what starts to settle in, or what started to set in for me around. I don't know, maybe the halfway point is you question him early on, and kind of by sheer force of personality, at least for me, he convinced me that he was quite serious about this. But about halfway through, you really start wondering how much he really has just like gaslit her into this whole thing, and how she's kind of developed potentially like Stockholm syndrome about this whole thing that's yeah. going on. I can't say I had that experience, but right. I, I did think that their their interplay was very exciting. And it doesn't surprise me that she, the actress, is a stage actress because it reminded me of a stage play, just seeing these two people in a confined uh, area going at it. And yeah. I, It's I, a classic I, two-hander, right? Like there are two people in this film. It does feel like this could have been on the stage. I mean, it's in one location. Yeah, you guys actors. were much more cynical about the practitioner than I was, but um, th- th- it was very compelling. It's, I, I, mean, was, I, I, mean, I, I wouldn't think say it, that, that that only added to my experience with the film. That excited me. I think uh, that speaks, though, to how how well actually they draw this character and how sort of ambiguous it is whether he's legit or not Mm -hmm. that the four of us basically all had kind of a completely different experience with like who he was and how much we could trust him elizabeth what did you think did you trust him no i didn't trust him um why was there like a moment or well i think there's a many moments i mean first of all 
from the beginning, like we said, he's an alcoholic. He suffers from withdrawal, which is, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't practice black magic, but it doesn't seem like you're in your clearest mind. He forces her to engage in some practices that are clearly not part of the ritual. They're for his benefit. And... And, you know, now you're making me question it. I Throughout <laughs> the movie, I never did doubt that he... I, I always believed that he was going to guide her in the right direction. So I guess that's trust. But I thought he went about it wrong. I'll say that. Oh, I, didn't, I agree I with didn't that. Doubt, <laughs> I didn't doubt him. I didn't doubt him, but I thought he did things wrong. I mean, do you want a friend or do you want to see your dead son again? Exactly. You know, <laughs> and that's point. the perfect point, Chris. So, I mean, I, I feel like at this point, we're really just like gunning for spoiler space. Do we need to get to our reviews? I think we need to get to our reviews, which is our new thing we're going to do for, for those of you who actually have been listening for a little bit. We're going to move the reviews up to the middle of the show so that those who actually might want to watch this movie without being spoiled on it can hear some kind of assessment on it. And those who want to just like hear all the shit can listen through to the end. So we're going to move up the view it, cue it, or screw it. And Chris, I say view it. It, it. Very good horror movie. Very good slow boil. Some absolutely terrifying scenes, which we can't really talk about without spoiling them. But it was one of the scariest movies I've seen in a long time. Performances were great. Setting was great. I love the premise. Uh, the ending didn't land 100% on its feet for me, but I know other people have here have enjoyed it, but definitely worth a watch. Chris, did you like this movie? I liked it. I liked it a lot. Well, you said view Was it that not clear? <laughs> yeah, but we've said view it to movies that we haven't liked in the past. That's yeah. true. That's true. This You're is right. probably my favorite of the movies we've watched so far. Knock me over Whoa. with a feather. I cannot fucking believe that. It, uh, Patrick? Oh, view it. I definitely view it. Um, just beautifully done you haven't really seen anything like it I, I feel like i can honestly say that i have some big caveats about the ending for sure this is kind of a gerald's game case for me almost <laughs> um we'll get to that in spoiler space um but overall definitely that, do it. that said it's it's hard to have when you have such a long well done slow boil it's hard to yeah stick the ending and really make you satisfied off of it I'll have some thoughts about that in spoiler space. But yeah, I mean, beautifully acted, beautifully shot, just um, really cleverly and and uh, masterfully set up throughout. Uh, Elizabeth. I would, I would say view it. Um, I can't really say anything that Chris and Patrick haven't said. I do have a couple big problems with the ending, too, to be specific, which we'll talk about. But this uh, movie really stuck with me and really haunted me in a in a positive way. I guess it was supposed to haunt me in a negative way. So <laughs> think about that, I guess. Um, but no, it was really well done, really interesting, really beautiful. And um, I would I would definitely say view it. A couple caveats for the ending, which we'll talk about later. And uh, yeah, watch this movie now. Steven, view it, cue it, or screw it? View it, like unequivocally. This is a really great movie that is not without its flaws. I mean, all of you have mentioned the ending. Uh I actually appreciate the intent of the ending, if not the execution, because I've never seen something like that in a horror film. 
we'll get into it, but I think what this movie aspires to for this character's arc in the final scene is really extraordinary. But ultimately, this is a great, like what I guess is called a, a folk British horror film, where it's a movie that's not about jump scares, it's about a sustained mood. I want to see more f- movies like this. This is a film that is about real circumstances, it takes existing real-life principles of magic and makes them seem realistic. And ultimately, it's a film about real feelings. It's about grief and and remorse and, and redemption. I can't say I've seen anything like it, except for Kill List, which I know <laughs> uh, Patrick's not a fan Dude, of. Dude, fuck Kill List. This movie I'll got, go on record right this now movie saying, fuck got, Kill List. I, well, I will say this movie was made because of Kill List. It was written before Kill List. And when the director decided to pitch this kill list had come out and he said i want to make a movie like kill list and ifc midnight said oh well that was a big hit so go ahead and i feel like it's kill very list much was the same a big thing. hit for what it was i mean for an independent horror movie yeah it's, uh, it's very especially in the uk it's very beloved um i want to see more movies like this more horror movies like this that don't rely on the usual tropes that take um you know ghouls and goblins and magic and whatever else and make them feel like they can be a part of our everyday life and the way that we process our trauma well it spooked me i'm spooked talking about it by candlelight as a matter of fact mm-hmm. uh and what more can you want so we got four view you know what to do but if you want stick around and when we come back we're gonna spoil everything stay with every us. goddamn thing got four view back we're about to spoil everything on a dark song but i want to start off by asking steven and kind of asking the group in general because i know steve you were shocked i I know you love this movie you've seen it twice now and you were shocked that we all just went for a view at you i I remember your specific words before the podcast where you thought that we were all going to hate it tell me tell me about that you hated kill list um because this is uh (laughs) no one listening knows what kill list is i'm sorry everyone okay so i i feel like this movie exemplifies a very specific brand of modern horror cinema which is really not what we're used to with the insidious and the conjuring fucking bullshit that we used to over here great films i i I disagree i I feel like these films pry on like the the typical tropes that we're used to in horror films and maybe they twist them or whatever these movies uh, speaking of of the ghoul and killist and this film they completely extricate themselves from the cinematic tropes that we're used to from films about the occult or about ghosts, but still deal with those themes in a very personal way. And I like that a lot. Like you're not, you're not relying on like the camera telling you to be scared or the sound design telling you to be scared. Like these are films about like real feelings and also assuming that you have the capacity in your imagination to imagine that like, ghosts might possibly exist that magic might be real so when you say you thought we would hate it what are you trying to say steve i'm trying to say that i don't i i did not expect based on the films that i know all three of you love insidious yeah i'm I'm, i didn't mean it to be insulting but i'm just saying i think that like based on your love of those films 
I would not have expected you to um, appreciate is the wrong word, but to accept this sort of film language. I feel like I'm like a pretentious asshole for liking this movie is what it comes down to. No, here's what I would say about that is I do enjoy Insidious. I'm not so big on The Conjuring, but I appreciate movies that exploit those tropes and those ways of, of scaring you like Insidious, which is just a jump scare a minute. And I love that. You know, I love a movie that can overdo that for me, but I also love a movie that can take a more subtle approach. I, I think I just have a broader appreciation perhaps I'm than a, you, than you might suspect. I'm a dark song in the streets. I'm insidious in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> well, I go back to uh, what I said earlier is that this film is, <laughs> this is like, if you like the witch, you're going to love this movie. And I love the witch, but I love does, Insidious too. I love Works Insidious the other chapter way. two more than the first if, Insidious. If I, if I love the dark song, a dark song, will I love the witch? Will I love Kill List? I, I got those on my I, shelf. Um, who can say? I mean, horror is a very personal thing, as any film is, or any genre, any medium whatsoever. Um, it, it really comes down to does it speak to you or not. For this film, I would say if you like jump scares, don't watch it. If you like a film that, like I said earlier, you feel like somebody that yeah, some ghoul apparition, whatever, is standing over your shoulder for an hour and 40 minutes. This movie is for you. It doesn't go for the obvious scares, and it doesn't go for the obvious conclusion either. It really does feel like you are in that house for that length of time, and you are experiencing what the protagonist is, and there's nothing obvious or familiar to guide you through that scenario. But, I mean, honestly, I think this movie still connects and still uh, builds uh, an emotional relationship and builds a genuine sense of unease with almost any audience, whether you like jump scares or not. And this is, uh, what do you think, Elizabeth? I mean, you don't watch a lot of horror films in, ger- in general. And I mean, in general, you probably don't consider yourself a huge movie buff, but you really, this movie hit with you. Why do you think? Uh, do you think it would hit with like kind of just your average person who doesn't watch a shitload of movies, let alone horror movies? Uh, yeah, I don't really think that it matters whether or not this is a horror movie. I think this is just an interesting movie. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't... I'm so happy to hear that. (laughs) I don't really know anything about Insidious. I don't know anything about The Conjuring. I don't know anything about any of those things. But I just think this is an interesting movie, and that's how I rate all these movies. Well, speaking of ratings, um, the the difference between the three of us and Steve And I'm I'm sorry, I'm shitting on, like, two of your favorite movies, and I don't mean to be an asshole, I'm just trying to be funny. That's fine, I'm sure I'll shit on two of your favorites before this whole project's over. I guarantee (laughs) it. I'm sure it's already happened. (laughs) Why haven't you uh, worked in an under-the-skin burn oh, yet because oh, I've repressed my memory but thank you um, <laughs> this, this, this movie actually did remind me of Under the Skin a little bit because it has kind of the same soundtrack like the little like oh I thought, this, I thought the same thing but yeah. it was so much it worked so much better in this movie because there was actually Agreed. interesting stuff happening it wasn't just like oh I'm standing here look at me but we digress <laughs> um so I mean, yeah, we're he was gonna... he was belly dancing for those listening at home. <laughs> so, but 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 the one part where we seem to disagree is on the ending. So let's talk about the ending, and we can talk about how we felt about it. Well, you know, I just think that it's a long it's a long road to get there, and there's a lot of ups and downs on the way. Um, you know, for example, there's a sexual harassment scene in which Solomon sort of implies that he and Sophia have to have ritual sex, but he gets her to undress, masturbates, and then is like, oh, no, that was just for me, so I have a clear head. 
Yeah, fu- what really the fuck, gross. You know? so, so disgusting. You know, another scene, which I thought was really powerful, is that he drowns her in a bathtub mm-hmm. and then brings her back to life. He does CPR on her. What was the... Uh, there's a reason why he does that. To cleanse her. Because to cleanse her. That, that's the point where she to says... send her over I to the other side. She can't forgive. And, like, and they has, go through that whole, like, blood he, ritual He forces thing. her to die and come back. He needs her to, like, experience the other side. Yeah. And yeah. to come back. He brings her back. And there's another... You know, right after that, she's furious at him and they're in the kitchen fighting and he ends up, she doesn't stab him, but he falls on a knife on the kitchen floor when they're fighting, which, you know, he becomes severely incapacitated by this knife wound. And it's such a gross. It's kind of a funny moment. There are moments oozing out of that wound. There are moments throughout the film where like, they're just like, they go through these horrible experiences. Right. After she, like, after he masturbates, like, and forces her to undress after he drowns her they have this like couch where they just like sit and smoke cigarettes and kind of like laugh and like bond over the experience it's I all found part that of the really, ritual found that really charming as well that yeah. like whatever they're going through whatever their dynamic is like they can still sort of like take moments to like resolve themselves from the shock they've been through well and by and these points by these points um because we haven't really talked about this they've been in the house together for months yeah yeah this whole thing is supposed to take a whole year yeah so they you know they are very close to each other for years so you know what's a little drowning between roommates agree <laughs> but, <laughs> i mean you know, that- that masturbation scene was when we were talking about the Stockholm syndrome factor before, I mean, obviously she's like rightfully repulsed in that scene, but she still hangs around. And that was really when that started to set in for me. Like, Oh, this guy is just a fucking weirdo pervert who has like imprisoned her in this house under false pretenses. What the fuck is she going to do? She knows that because she starts, she starts asserting herself. I mean, like, there's it's a constant. This is interplay. a point of disagreement, I think, between the three of us and you, because I don't mm-hmm. feel like she was starting to play him at all. So tell tell us more about mm-hmm. that. How do you think she started to manipulate him? Well, well she puts uh, pee in his soup. <laughs> well, does she put pee in his soup? Yeah, yeah. yeah what whole, are you talking yeah, about? There's a big scene where no, yeah. at, right after the morning after he assaults her, she there's a scene of her in the bathroom peeing into a cup. She walks into the kitchen with the cup. Pours it into the soup. He comes in. He goes, and she goes, I'm not hungry. Just you eat it. And he eats the soup. Yep. Big scene. 100%. Oh, I totally missed that. I missed it twice, apparently. Yeah. Chris, That's you saw it, right? Yeah, maybe we were just uh, practicing the right rituals when we watched it. <laughs> so. Maybe we all saw four different movies. Early in the film, um, and I would say in the first hour or so, there, there are a few moments where like, we get a sense where we kind of wonder if the ritual is working. And we don't know. Later in the film... It really does feel more concrete, and I think maybe Patrick can set up uh, why that is. There's there's a, a particular moment where I, I feel like all of a sudden, like you know, something is happening here. The magic feels real. Sophia is alone in her room, and she hears the voice of her son. Yeah, calling, terrifying. Calling to her from creepy from yeah. from somewhere else in the house, and she tries to figure out where he is, and he's behind this door. And there are a couple of scenes where he's speaking to her from behind this door, and she keeps saying to him, "You're not real. I know you're not real. It's someone, you know, someone else trying to fuck with her, basically." A, a good spirit, I'm sure. <laughs> which which is, I love. Which that is amazing. Scene. It's amazing that she knows that, yes. that he's not real because she just is so attuned to the like ins and outs of this crazy long term ritual. At that point, that she knows, she says like. 
I know that this is not the voice of my son. She's so jaded. Yeah. I love that. I've never seen that in a movie before. And she's At- seen enough spooky stuff out of the corner of her eye and stuff where she knows there's like dark forces in the house. Right. And the other thing you've never, or I've never seen in a movie like this before is the door that has something creepy like coming from behind it and you never open that fucking door. Like any other rattles. movie, you would open it and see something spooky behind it. It's it back to yeah. the, the, the haunting, you know, the original uh, Robert Wise adaptation of the Shirley Jackson novel like that's a movie that's like a haunted house movie where you see nothing it's all sound like I, I, I'm I, just amazed that there's a modern movie that has the level of restraint to make that kind of creepiness happen yeah I mean you know talk about Insidious and honestly I would love it if they did this in Insidious I, you know <laughs> I'd freak out I'd be like oh that was awesome but you'd open the door and there'd be like a creepy you know nun or bride or something behind it or whatever but I mean this is like I don't know, it's a whole different level of, you know, I guess, psychological horror. Well, your imagination can conjure something yeah. much more scarier than special effects. And let's be honest, this is a low-budget movie. They couldn't afford many special effects in this film. They don't need to afford it. They don't need to. Well, you know what? Having just the premise of having the kid's voice behind the door, I don't think it's breaking a ton of new ground in the horror genre. Like, you know, having someone, something creepy impersonating your kid's been done. Having someone talking behind a door or whatever has been done. Um, but... Just the way the whole the tone of the whole movie is so realistic, and the stakes are set up so much that when it happens, you really feel it, and it really gets under your skin in a way that kind of scene hasn't gotten under my skin in a while. It's such well, a reward when like things actually do start happening yes. because you've been wondering for so long, you know. Well, well and her per- her performance works so well in those scenes too, because like you said, she is or you Steve and Elizabeth said like she is jaded and she realizes that it's a spirit, but she's so traumatized and conflicted in that moment she's like sobbing she's like i know it's not you like she's trying to convince her it's she, a spirit but it's not her son and she yeah. knows and, it's and like, she's trying to talk herself into it because she knows it's not her kid but she just she wants to see her son so bad she's just ah and then, oh, then there's the relate. second scene where it happens again and she you know apologizes <laughs> and everything and then it's like I'm not actually your son i'm an evil demon no it's it, a, he calls her you, a cunt no 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 the spirit goes but you know I'm not your son. I'm just some cunt impersonating his voice. Oh, and she goes, oh and, you can, and you expect shock, and she just goes, yeah, I know. And you're <laughs> but like, it's still in the voice of the child, right? It's still in the voice yeah. of the child. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You guys, are, you guys are doing it in kind of like a demon voice, but it's still like the kind of angelic like British voice of this child that you've yeah. heard the same you know this I'm whole time. You know I'm not your son. I'm just a cunt I'm impersonating his son. Look, mommy, there's yeah. an yeah. airplane up in the sky. Well, Look, mommy, thank I'm a you. Cunt. The man from Wales has Holy weighed in. Fucking shit. Okay. Well, anyway, none of you ever do an impersonation of a British child ever again. I, I mean, fuck you. First try. Give me some Bloody credit. <laughs> okay. That, that, that right. So where do we go from there? Y'all are very years. defensive about your British child impersonation. Well, you were a dick about it, so we had to be. <laughs> fuck you. I'm a well, you guys all did shitty British child impersonations, so I had to be a dick. Anyway, yes, I love you. <laughs> love you too. Great scenes. It, tremendous fright in those scenes. Another great scene, you know what? She's just like chilling, and there's like the fucking shadow man smoking a cig in the <gasps> easy chair. That was wonderful. Oh, oh my yeah. God, I my love that. forgot about that. Scene. How did I forget my that? Favorite se- my favorite scene in the film. Now, that was a fucking British. Like, that was a bollocks accent. That was a, that was a British preteen. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm moving up in the world. You clearly don't give a toss about doing a proper accent. No, this is so great. This scene is fantastic, which, first of all, 
question number one about this movie, actually the only question I have about this movie, how she she goes about her life in this house. She sleeps, she reads, she eats. If I were her, I would be cowering in a corner. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's absurd. But anyway, she's reading in a chair. Well, she's already it, drank a cup of blood that like refilled I guess itself, she's so like, she doesn't give a I fuck I guess she's at this just point. ready for whatever comes to her. But, you know, she's reading in a chair... And she looks up, and there appears to be a demon in the arm. Is Solomon dead at this point? Solomon's dead at he, this no, point. No, he's ill. Oh, but he's practically dead at this it's point. It's unclear if he's dead or not, I think. Oh, man. And, oh, I mean, this... We assume he's going to die. But there's not a demon. It's like the, the chair is so in shadow, you can't see anything. I don't and there's, just, there's just the glow of a cigarette moving up and down from someone's lips, and you're like, oh, God, it's going to be a demon when she gets yeah, close. Yeah, but it's not. And Oh, man. And she, she, she stands up, and she walks towards the chair. And as it comes into light, there's a coat laying over the chair, and there's a lit cigarette in the ashtray. It's a mm. very amazing, very mm. interesting effect because, like, visually, it's a shadow. It's a shadow smoking a cigarette, but like, it doesn't have enough definition to act, like. It's not like they actually put a guy in the chair. What does it symbolize? What do you think? I think... What do you think that is? I think it's just escalating the hauntedness of the house. Well, I want to say... I, I asked this because I have one problem with this movie. We're getting very close to describing the controversial ending, but who is the father of her child? What really happened to that child? Doesn't matter. He got No, I think what he got I, kidnapped I, from I don't know care. that it matters because I found the movie compelling otherwise, but at a certain point I really wanted to know. Like I'm surprised that she's not haunted by I was surprised that the identity of the child's kidnappers wasn't revealed. I have to admit, I expected there to be some revelation about who had taken the child. That didn't bother well, me as much as wondering about like, well, this is clearly like a single woman who maybe was a single mom but like i i, I wanted to know more about her huh. and what she'd been through aside from the child being kidnapped I, I i and i think it would have only taken maybe one scene something very brief to establish that but that seeing it twice that was the one thing that kind of made me a little uh less involved in her story it would have been interesting but i'm not sure it would have been important and i don't understand what it has to do with the shadow man do you think it has something to do with the shadow man well, because I don't know who the Shadow Man is. Is that her ex-husband? I have no idea. Is that mm. death? Is that like the the Mister Moonlight? Well, let me film? let me let me tell you what <laughs> Moonlight, Man. Moonlight stuff. Man. Moonlight Man. Mister, I'm thinking of the Bauhaus song. No, <laughs> let me tell you what. This is Moonlight. Let me tell you what all this stuff meant to me because I I tried to tell the story when we were talking about if we believe in dark magic. Um, I had a coworker who did believe in this sort of thing, and um, he would talk to me about like the importance of because we would we would talk about like you know games you can play to summon the occult like you know Bloody Mary games like the of three that, kings like, probably stuff like that, and he was like just don't do it, and he was like just don't extend an invitation. Ooh. And I like I like the way he saw it. Don't extend an invitation to whatever's out there. And so when I'm watching this movie, I'm like, it's all very realistic, and they're extending an invitation, and this stuff just starts showing up, and it's terrifying to me, because it's like obviously from a really dark place, a place of great power, and now there's a shadow smoking a cigarette watching you <laughs> from the corner. So, so speaking of stuff showing up, when stuff really, like demons, really start to physically show up, someone remind me, because I'm blanking a little, what precipitates that? What's the moment that sort of... Like 
directly perceived when we start to see fucking demons. Well, after she, had, she had, yeah, she had left the house to go on a walk, or she left the house to try to seek help, and she ends up back at the house, and she enters, and she's like, fuck, holy shit, like, this is actually happening, I can't escape here. She enters the house, sees bloody, dirty footprints, sees vomit, sees Solomon laying prostrate, dead on the floor, presuming, and a demon grabs him and like tugs oh him. that happens as soon as she gets back yes. to the yeah. house yeah yeah pretty oh, much okay all right i thought she was in the house and that's when we get into it right and then boys she winds up in the boys. basement there's this like clive barker hellscape going on down there with all these demons the and further. somebody cuts her fucking ring finger off with a wrench and i was and fascinated by the way all that stuff played with the demons even before she gets to the basement because it's all played very against the traditional rules of what you would expect from like turning around and seeing a demon because there are some moments where you turn around and see some demons but there's not like a musical cue or a sound effect to go with right. it and it's all the more chilling for that because there's not like some you know pavlov's dog trigger to say you should be scared we've talked about how her finger literally gets cut off with a fucking is it a bolt cutter or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah exactly yeah and you don't hear any anywhere else you'd get like the world's like gnarliest sound effect of like bones crunching and shit as that finger gets cut off but there's no sound uh, that is there whole even scene, a close-up i don't even think there's like a close-up i don't think not there at all. Is. it's a wide shot not yeah. a wide shot but like a medium shot of like just the fucking it's very unceremonious the whole scene feels so disturbing and surreal and just like disobeys any rules you're expecting i mean that comes back to like one of the reasons that i like a film like kill list or a field in england is like <laughs> these, these, oh movies, these movies have uh, a different sort of language about dealing with horror which is that like it's scarier to just see something frightening than to have everything about the way it's shot and the sound to tell you that you should be scared it just happens, and it happens organically. And I, I really like that about this film. And I mean, I will say, you know, I, I hate to keep going back to Insidious, but in Insidious, I also get the fucking chills. I, th- I think it's a different kind of chills, but I still get chills when, you know, every two minutes when, you know, a fucking, like, demon pops out behind Patrick, uh, what's his name, Patrick, Patrick Wilson's Wilson. head. It's like, you know, but I get... I get chills, but I get a different kind of chills in a dark song when you just kind of pan the camera and there are just demons kind of like lurking there. Just well, so I don't sound like a fucking troll. I will say that IFC Midnight, when this movie premiered, they premiered it with Kill List. So, okay. <laughs> oh my well, god. I love this movie and I love Insidious, so I think I can. I How can... do you feel about Kill List? <laughs> Haven't <laughs> seen it. Haven't seen it, and every time you mention it, I push it back a week on my schedule. <laughs> Cue it, great, cue it, great, because you, you're not it. worthy, honestly. Anyway, so <laughs> the thing about Insidious is it has chilling scenes, but then it pads those chilling scenes with a lot of stuff that's not scary. Whereas this movie sustains the dread for almost the entire runtime. You just have a feeling something's going to go wrong. I will say I, I didn't really like the basement stuff. I didn't like the demons. I didn't think they were scary. I didn't either. Um, I mean, the, Oh, so, they creep me the fuck so out. So the demons look like normal people wearing like rags and they're like pale and stuff and they're, they're, they're spooky, but we've like the dude, the shadow in the chair, the thing behind the door are just chilling. So I actually, completely agree. The demons were much less scary than the other stuff we saw. And probably that's because we weren't can like, see them. They weren't like so. 19, 19- 20 london generic i will say that like they were they were like cr- suitably creepy but not like 
scary. Yeah, but like you could have thrown Veer from 1920 London in there and nobody would have noticed. I would have noticed. But I... They don't look like demons. They look like normal people. It kind of looks like how demons would be portrayed in like an ancient scripture or something, which I think is probably what they were going That's for. in keeping with oh, that the, make, the That's an interesting film, point, actually. Right? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, they looked like a different kind of demon to me and everything in this movie escalates to me. It gets progressively scarier. There's no moment in this movie that's less scary than the moment before it building up to the through that whole thing in the basement and then the fucking moment where she like looks up the stairs she gets away from the demon she like looks up the stairs in this bright white light and suddenly says i'm sorry this is where this all kind of falls apart for me she's being absolutely consumed by the demons in the basement and a white light from the top of the stairs distracts them and she claws her way towards it and Mm. reaches out and says, I'm sorry, as the demons are still clinging to her feet. And then they kind of recede, and she goes up the stairs. Does, and, and yeah, so I don't really understand what she's sorry about. Right. Yeah, she's, that doesn't... I think, I think she's sorry because, having seen this twice, because the first time I saw this, it was like, I knew that there was, like, a controversial ending that I was supposed to, like, steal myself for. And... The first time I was like, what the fuck happened? The second time I was like, I, I, I kind of get it. She's sorry because she went to such great lengths to ask for, ask for something so simple that she really should have been able to achieve herself. Okay, well, that brings me to my other point. So, all right, well, in a nutshell, just to kind of, so we ha- are all speaking the same language. So she sees this thing. She says, I'm sorry. She goes up the stairs. She's free from the demon. She's presented with basically, I guess I would call her a giant Athena. Is that fair? Yeah, it looks well, like it's, a, it's a man. Is it a man? It's a man. It is. Like a it, is it looks warrior. like a Final Fantasy, like the Final Fantasy movie, like kind of like an outcast from that. Well, it's right. clearly meant to be her guardian angel, and it is a giant figure dressed gladiator in gold, it's like a, with yeah. wings, with a gladiator helmet. No but, wings. There are no wings. I don't um, think there are. I guess there's not yeah, prominent I don't think wings. there are wings. Yeah. But it's a giant, merciful Greek a god merciful, of some sort. Gr- a merciful Greek-attired, Greek-appearing god or goddess that's probably three times human size and clearly portrays for, like, goodness as opposed it's her, to it's evil. Her it's her guardian angel. angel. Yeah. I know. I'm just, it's her higher I'm self. It's like kneeling, it's crouching to fit into this, like, human-sized room. And so, as foretold, she has the opportunity to ask of it a favor, and she... One favor. And she says she wants the power to forgive her son's killers, and probably all sorts of other things, too. I have a lot more to say about the scene, but that... This whole movie, she's been thinking about vengeance, and all of a sudden, she wants forgiveness? Because vengeance isn't possible. She doesn't know who killed her child like her motive changes like four or five times throughout the film eventually she decides i can never figure out who did this i just want to be able to get through it and to get over it Hmm. so she asks for forgiveness so that she can move on with her life it's been three years yeah but i didn't see any indication in her life that implied that she was ready for that i mean it was just vengeance 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 captured by demons forgiveness i didn't see yeah. anything it's not vengeance the whole time i mean like I think in the it, beginning she says like she tells a lie in the beginning when she sells solomon on the ritual she says someone loves me yeah well but that's or, i love someone so and they don't but that's just her lying it's her lying but that also is the beginning of the ritual and then when they actually begin the ritual she tells another lie 
But oh, well, at a character level, at a character level, she wants vengeance from the for the throughout the whole movie, right? Right. I I wholly agree with Elizabeth. I the the suddenness of her saying I'm sorry for whatever reason that was felt like it came out of nowhere and I totally agree with basically the the overall intention of the ending of the movie and the the end of the character's journey that she finally arrives at some place of uh you know, being willing to to question herself and question the motivations that she's had this whole time. I I welcome that, but mm-hmm. I just didn't it didn't feel earned at all to me. It didn't get yes. there in a, in a yes. logical fashion at yeah, all. Yeah, agree. It felt like it was this huge buildup, which was awesome. And then all of a sudden, a come down of, oh, I need forgiveness, not vengeance. I yeah. agree. Yeah. I agree. And I, I even would have bought into the giant CG angel a little more if like I really felt that she somehow earned that catharsis. And it didn't, which was surprising to me because otherwise the movie felt like so you know, cleverly and really intelligently plotted. And I was really surprised by how that very sudden turn happens. I mean, this whole thing, like her having that moment, seeing the angel and it's all over in what, like, I mean, probably less than five minutes. Yeah. It, it, the whole movie was so good. I can't give it a too big of a red mark on this ending. The arc was good. It's just didn't really come together for me. Yeah, I love that concept of the arc and that concept of her like ending on a positive note and that sort of note of light. That's another kind of unconventional thing for a horror movie that sure. it ends on that positive and and redemptive note. Um, but it just I, I wish it had earned it more. I do want to say that it takes some fucking balls to just full-blown display a guardian <laughs> angel. Yeah. And, I was and yeah. I thought that was fucking sweet. I was like amazing i hope this is what my guardian angel looks like i was in full favor of the jet of the like full-formed guardian angel appearing kneeling in the room as the end of the ritual 10 out, 11 out of 10 12 out of 10 whatever you want to categorize it <laughs> amazing more horror movies should bring in the guardian angel i feel like this movie did earn that ending in the sense that, like, she's had to battle this horrible man throughout this entire film. I mean, she's been physically, you know, she sexually, m- like, mentally abused by this person this entire time. I feel like she has earned that ending. What's jarring is the CGI and the way uh, that it's portrayed. Least of the problems. Agree. Uh, yeah, well, I just, I just don't I understand f- I what I don't understand what made her go from vengeance to forgiveness. Why she said I'm sorry on the stairs. I interpret it when she I said do I'm because sorry. I've... I thought it was her last gasp of like she realizes the severity of what she's been fucking with the whole movie and that she shouldn't have tried to do this ritual in the first place and she sees God's Agreed light. I there. I and feel she's like, like that, I'm sorry. This was a bad idea. That transition to the third act should have been made more clear but personally i understand where she's been so maybe that's it maybe that's it i feel i feel like that's why i liked it and maybe it's specific to me but i do feel like you're right like there should have been a clearer transition between like when she realized what she really wanted out of this ritual well maybe that's it maybe she understands that she was wrong and she's sorry for having fucked with the other side and that it would have been easier and more appropriate for her to have found the strength to forgive and that's so that's what she asked for i guess it bothered me because it felt sort of like a little child who like finally gets in like real trouble and then is all of a sudden yeah. like i'm sorry yeah. you know sorry it's like she got caught. oh the I demons the I demons fucked with her way. the demons cut her finger off and now she's sorry and i was like really i want you to like earn your i didn't read it that way i felt like that's how she earned 
that confrontation with her guardian angel. She was like, oh, I never realized I wanted this positive thing. I never realized that there'd be a dark side to it as well and that I would have to suffer for it. The dead bird flying in the window wasn't this clue. <laughs> well, when you're being like when some the fucking, knife through her buddy's abdomen. <laughs> I mean, I really have a sense, I and mean, I, th- I think the dialogue supports it. Having seen this film twice, that like she really didn't seem to understand that. Like even when Steve Orm says to her, like it's gonna get dark, I don't feel like her response indicates that she understands that. Right. I mean, it's very much a, a Gerald's Game case for me where I enjoyed the vast majority of the movie and there's kind of that like last chunk of movie that doesn't well, work so well. Thankfully, there's no fucking epilogue. <laughs> it just ends when it ends. Yeah, but this felt almost as awkward and tacked on to me, to be quite honest. So, uh, so I guess she learns an important lesson from all this, which is all you can hope for. And um, I don't know. Did we learn any important lessons from this movie? Well, I did. What did you learn, Elizabeth? I learned two things. First, that you should approach everything with complete dedication, and you will succeed. And second of all, that you should practice wholeheartedly black magic, because you will see your guardian angel and achieve all of your dreams. Would you recommend practicing black magic versus not practicing black magic? I would recommend practicing black magic. Oh, me too. Black magic has worked wonders for me. Steve, Um, what did you learn from this movie? That it works. What? Black magic. Okay. Chris, what'd you learn? I learned maybe don't find your black magic practitioners on Craigslist. Yeah, that's good advice. Where did she find that guy? I can only assume Craigslist. (laughs) London.craigslist.com. Patrick, did you take anything away from this movie that you can apply to your life? Absolutely nothing. All right. All right, cool. Well, there's only one thing left to do, guys. This being Friday the 13th in October, next to Halloween. (laughs) We've got our candles. We told you we have a big mirror right in front of our thing. Guys, I want to summon an evil spirit. How many times do we chant Bloody Mary? I think we chant Bloody Mary three times and, and then she appears or maybe your guardian angel will appear Elizabeth. <gasps> I hope so All right, I have a favor to ask stare deep into the mirror and, and do it all together all right, it goes like this right. oh okay one bloody mary yeah. two, two bloody, bloody mary, mary three bloody mary, mary. 